Of course, it is a Wednesday morning. That means time for our doctor visit, our favorite family physician, Dr. Stan Anderson. He is on our WHBC Newsline this morning. Good morning, Dr. Stan. Hey, Pam. Great to talk to you. All right, Dr. Stan, some devastating news. (laughs) Devastating (laughs) news for people like me who nap every single day. (laughs) Help me. Tell us what this study about naps was all about. Yeah, there was just an interesting association, not cause, but association, that people who had more frequent napping during the day was associated with increased risk of developing high blood pressure and eventually developing a stroke. So it wasn't causation. They simply said, yeah, this is something that seems to happen. And the thinking was, was that people who nap, since that is a time of day when you most people are a little bit more interactive, that the people that end up having more heart problems and stroke problems and high blood pressure, they tended to have poorer social uh, determinants of health, more comorbidities, more sleep problems. And so it could be that the napping was not the ultimate cause, but the napping was just part of the whole symptom complex that ended up being the real issue that led to more strokes. But it's just one of the things that physicians should be starting to ask a little bit more. Do you nap frequently? Because that might be a harbinger of something bad. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit of a relief. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the bottom line is napping is not the dangerous thing. It's just, oh, if you're doing a lot of napping and you also have a lot of these other things, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not having good sleep regularly. You end up having other things where you're not taking care of yourself. Napping is just an indicator. Okay. All right. I'll keep that in mind when I lay down for my nap this afternoon. <laughs> All right, let's go to, guess, get to something a little on the more serious side. Um, the COVID boosters, I want to talk about that. It is the final Wednesday of July. We're going into the month of August. <laughs> School's going to start up again. And, um, you know, let's talk about getting the booster. Maybe, uh, you know, what about teachers and, and parents with their kids? I mean, what what should we be doing here? Yeah, now here's where there's a lot of debate and a lot of concern, and the body of evidence seems to be if you're a teacher and you have a risk because you're going to be around a lot of kids, whether they mask or not is almost irrelevant because for the most part, kids don't mask correctly. So as a result, teachers, people that work in crowded environments, have a much higher likelihood of developing the Omicron variant. So one of the standard wisdoms was there's this new shot that's coming out called the Novavax, which is the only one that seems to give protection against the Omicron variant. So part of the accepted wisdom was, eh, just wait until the Novavax is available, which will be sometime in September, maybe October, depending on how slow the CDC drags their heels. But the bottom line is, is teachers can't afford to wait. So if you're a teacher over the age of 50, if you have heart, um, any kind of heart risk 
problems such as high blood pressure if you have diabetes, if you struggle with the disease of obesity, you should probably get the booster now knowing that it's going to not necessarily protect you from all of the Omicron strains. But what it's going to do is if you get the Omicron, you're only going to be sick for a shorter period of time. So that's the dilemma. Should you get it now or should you wait for the Novavax? And then the Novavax, the other dilemma with that is it's indicated as the primary shot. We don't even know whether or not it's going to be able to be used as the booster, which is what everybody's holding out for, because it's the only one that's got the Omicron protection. Yeah, that's that's the big dilemma. A lot of unknowns. Bottom line is teachers with any kind of health problems and teachers that are over the age of 50 should get a booster now. And what about kids? We, we, you know, finally they started approving the vaccine for younger children, um, but parents are, a lot of parents are not doing it. Yeah, it's like 43% of parents have said in surveys they absolutely are not going to vaccinate their children. So it's kind of interesting. The uh, two to five-year-old children they have a higher resistance than children over the age of 12. Uh, and the children under two years of age, the resistance is even higher. So the overall statistics is it's about 43%, not, not quite half of parents are resistant or strongly resistant towards getting the COVID vaccine. So on one hand, that's a policy failure. That's a failure in the medical community. On the other hand, part of it is is most kids that get sick, they're not going to end up in the ICU unless they end up having significant medical problems. So, yes, any parent of a child that struggles with obesity, diabetes, heart disease, congenital defects, cancer, those children really need to get the COVID vaccine. Um, otherwise, an otherwise healthy child, um, am I going to fault a parent? I'm not going to tell them that they shouldn't do what's in their conscience. Um, the child likely won't get sick. The big issue is the child could potentially spread it to someone else that's vulnerable. So you do it not just for yourself, but you do it for the community at large. Right. Goes back to that same message from three years ago or two years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and before I let you go, we're talking about kids going back to school, all of that. Obesity in children at a pretty high level right now? Yeah, this is really, really unfortunate. So this was... Um, Published, um, it was one of those Weinberg studies published in a research letter in, in JAMA Pediatrics. They looked at children between 2011 to 2012 and then from 2017 to 2020. The obesity rates for children between two and five years of age all went way, way up. It's now sitting right around 20%. So what that means is one in five children have the disease of obesity, which is dramatically going to change the trajectory of their lifespan. They're going to end up having uh, body image issues. They're going to have more diseases. They're going to not live as long. So the disease of obesity is now so prevalent that, yeah, children that are getting it, 
their their life is dramatically going to be negatively affected. We're seeing more and more teenagers getting bariatric surgery in order to try to correct their disease process. This is this is an unfortunate public health crisis that is the real crisis. I mean, the World Health Organization just listed monkeypox as a crisis, and there's only been five people that have died from monkeypox. But diseases such as obesity, where people die dramatically in higher droves, is not a crisis. So hey, you end up having some politicalization of the pronouncements. Yeah. Well, certainly <laughs> you're right. It, and it, it ha- I look at the monkeypox thing. And anyway, but we'll talk more about that another time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Dr. Stan, you have a great weekend and uh, we'll chat with you next Wednesday. Thanks, Pam. Look forward to it.